Welcome everyone to our morning session in Second Life. Today's talk will be on a subject that I think I've talked about before, but it's been a while. And uh, probably useful for people who are new. It's called the path of purification. This is the subject today. The teaching of the Buddha is described as a path of purification or the path of purification. It's understood that there are certain things in the mind which are impure. And you can give them whatever name you like. You can call them evil. You can call them unwholesome, unskillful, uh, unbeneficial. The meaning is those things which affect the mind in a negative way, bringing about negative consequences for both oneself and for others. This is a core principle of Buddhism that these these things exist in the mind. And not only do they exist in the mind, but they can be cured. So the, the, the whole of the practice of Buddhism is the development of those things that will purify the mind. And the path is said to be comprised of seven stages, and these are called the stages of purification. It's just a traditional 
means of breaking the path up into its component parts to make it clear these the progression so the first thing that we have to do the first stage of purification is called the purification purification of of virtue or the purification of morality. Morality plays a crucial role in the, the teaching of the Buddha as being the very first thing, very first quality one has to accomplish, very first practice one has to accomplish. And this is often missed by by people on the spiritual path pure, one thing about purification is it's the path leading inward it's a path which um, allows us to pull back and come out of our ordinarily um, diffuse and distracted state so it has to start from start by cutting off the most external um, manifestations of impurity and slowly work its way inward until it actually changes the seemingly hardwired habits that exist in our minds. If we're not able to remove the coarsest manifestations of impurity, our actions and our speech then there's no way we can ever get to the point where we're even able to see the more refined impurity. It's like if you can't change the basic, your, your basic and gross bad habits, you'll never be able to fine-tune your mind on, on a deeper level. So we start with morality, we start with restricting and um, circumscribing our uh, physical reality. Well, there are certain things, certain actions and certain modes of speech that we have to refrain from. because of their innate uh, connection with with the defiled mind. So traditionally this is said to be giving up 
list a, li a certain list of of ac activities. We give up killing, we give up stealing, we give up cheating, lying, taking drugs, taking alcohol. We give up harsh speech, abusive speech, useless speech. And we, we, we take we take these certain rules of conduct that we're going to refrain from these things. But but the real point of morality and the 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 reason why it's the beginning of the practice is because true true morality is something that is, still occurs in the mind. It's the the absence of intention to even perform um, an unwholesome deed of, of of body or speech. It's the very beginning of the meditation practice. So there's there's this idea that you have to take on certain vows that I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. And that somehow that is the essence of morality. And in fact it's not. When you take on vows, when you promise yourself, you know, when you accept the Ten Commandments in Christianity or, or Judaism or so on, it has no no direct bearing on whether or not you're going to perform those acts or not. The meaning of morality in, in a Buddhist sense is really the beginning to meditate. When you go into your room, you sit down on a on a, a pillow. You close your eyes, <coughs> and you direct your mind towards understanding things as they are. You're accomplishing morality. You don't ever have to made any have made any vows whatsoever. You don't have to have promised I'm not going to kill and so on. Morality is accomplished at the moment that you direct your mind towards seeing things as they are. Because it's through not seeing things as they are. It's through directing our minds elsewhere, directing our minds towards um, the proliferation of um, mental um, mental, mind, mental constructs that leads us to um, to like and dislike things and to to um, to commit evil and unwholesome deeds so morality is the basic practice of bringing the mind back when you're sitting in meditation and your mind wanders the the act of bringing it back is the morality because when you don't bring it back the wandering mind leads you to d make decisions Suddenly you, you remember something else you have to do or something you'd rather be doing or the the, stimula the stimulus in, in front of you, whether it be pain or, or, or however, makes you decide to change, makes you decide to react, to act physically or verbally. And when someone yells at you and you start to get angry, if you don't quickly say to yourself, angry, angry, or, you know, remind yourself and, and refocus your mind on what's really uh, happening, 
it will lead you to commit immoral acts. By simply refocusing your mind, you do away with the immoral act. The only, the, 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 at this point, we're not, we're not talking about um, doing away with mental impurities. We're, we're under, the understanding is when you start to meditate, you're still going to get angry. You're still going to be greedy, want, get greedy. You're still going to have your, your wants and your likes and your dislikes and your aversions. Morality is, is the, the, the battle with these states so that they don't lead to you know, physical or verbal impurity. The point being that when you do and say bad things, you're only causing suffering. And if it wasn't causing suffering, we wouldn't call it a bad deed. If you believe that killing, killing living beings is not causing suffering, then in your mind that's not considered a bad deed. No. Um, the only reason we call these deeds bad or evil has nothing to do with the fact, directly to do with the fact that the Buddha said they're wrong. The reason he said they're wrong is because they're wrong because they cause suffering for the for the doer and they cause suffering for the receiver of the act. Okay, so that's the first the first goal in meditation. It should be said though that taking vows and promising to not to do certain things, whether it be acts of body or speech, killing, stealing and so on is is good and useful is is important um it's important to get it straight in your mind those things that are going to cause suffering but it's far more important to redirect your mind so that you don't give rise to them and that isn't accomplished by vows it's only accomplished by mindfulness by clear awareness of reality Okay, so once you start to develop morality, and this is once you've sat down on the meditation mat and your mind is starting to um, focus, starting to come back to, starting to really see things as they are, as opposed to um, turn them into something more than that. The next purification is called purification of the mind or purification of mind states purification of jitta and it's funny a, a literal translation here would generally be purification of mind but we don't want to say that and that's not what's meant here because of course the purification of the mind is the ultimate goal now what is meant here the word is jitta visuddhi and it means purification of individual mind states. This is an important, very important distinction. Because the, what's really important, the, the sort of the distinction between what the Buddha taught, from a Buddhist point of view, what the Buddha taught and say what a, a Hindu meditation teacher would teach, is... Now, from a Buddhist point of view, the fact that there's a difference between purifying 
the arisen mind mind states or, or the present mind states and ensuring that such impure mind states never arise again because you can purify your mind quite easily you know you can uh, sit down focus on an object your mind is pure focus on a light focus on a sound focus on God or so on and your mind becomes very pure there's no greed there's no anger um, there may not be any, even any delusion arising and yet when you stop meditating those those very mind states have the opportunity to arise again and will arise again because there's something missing so just to make a clear distinction here this is only the second purification the purification of the mind it's this basic practice of meditation where your mind focuses to the extent that you're no longer angry you're no longer greedy uh, you're no longer worried, confused, bored, and so on. Where you're actually able to see things as they are. Where you're actually focused. It's the creation of pure mind states. Because this isn't the ultimate goal, but it's necessary to reach the ultimate goal. And just to skip ahead, what the difference is, or the, the, the real cure for the mind is the, the the wisdom and the understanding that comes from looking at reality with a pure mind. So this pure mind is going to be the tool that we use to look at reality. It's not the goal. But having a pure mind, a pure mind state, creating a clear mind, allows you to see things as they are, allows you to gain this this last and final purity of wisdom of understanding and once the understanding comes you don't have to talk about pure mind states impure mind states you can't give rise to impure mind states because of an understanding of the impurity and an understanding of reality as it is someone yells at you you see it for what it is you you see something you know attractive you see it for what it is you're not able to give rise to greed anger or delusion it's not possible, since these things come about because of misunderstanding. So, okay, here in the second purification we're talking about concentration, focus. Because as you bring the mind back, as you apply the mind to reality in the present moment, your mind becomes focused. And this is the quality of meditation practice that we should strive towards. We're not just sitting on a pillow and trying to count the minutes. We are trying to evoke a quality of meditation practice so that when you do walking meditation, your mind should be with the foot. You should really know that you're walking. When you are sitting your mind should be with the, the, the object of meditation in the case of the practice that I teach should be with the stomach the rising and the falling motion your mind should be focused and you can, you can experience this 
if you start to practice if you practice the technique that I've, I teach I guarantee in, in a very short time you, you should be able to experience pure mind states you know, your mind will not be pure overall we're not there yet but just in a short time you'll be able to see that you know you say to yourself rising and it's, it's actually quite um, pure your mind is calm, peaceful it's even quite pleasurable at times Know, in between all of the chaos that's in the mind. Your mind becomes focused. And it really only has to be one moment at a time because we're trying to see reality as it is in the present moment. So you don't have to build up this high, this, this heavy concentration that is continuous. Um, no, for the for the purposes of of our practice, we're trying to create a clear thought in the present moment. And this will change the mind and, and, and calm it down naturally. The third purification, once you've focused the mind, begins to get into the, the, the final goal already. It's, this is the beginning of wisdom. So Buddhism splits the path up into into three parts generally. Here I'm talking about the seven stages, but if you want to reduce it, you can reduce it down to three. The first one is morality, the second one is concentration, and the third one is wisdom. So the next five purifications are all about wisdom. To recap, we've gone over morality already. The next one is purification of the mind, or um, in other words, morality, uh, concentration. And three, four, five, six, seven are going to be all about wisdom. So number three is the purification of view. The Buddha placed a great emphasis on the purification of view, of view opinion, of understanding, of point of view or opinion, way of looking at the world, etc., Our way of looking at the world Our way of looking at the world is um, obviously going to influence our our reactions to the world if we see the world as, or if we see through our experience of the world as self, soul, me, mine, um, if we see this body as a an entity, if we see the mind as a entity, if when we look at things we 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 make um, value judgments about it as being me and or mine or or uh, right and wrong and, and so on. It becomes very difficult to to break away from our attachment to things. And it certainly doesn't uh, allow for the kind of objective introspection that we're required that we require. Because when, when you when you think of the mind as an entity you're you're unable to 
to break it down. Um, anything that comes up, you think of it as 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 belonging to the entity. You know, there's pain comes up in the body, you think of it as my pain. Um, when the body's moving, you you think of it as as a permanent, lasting entity. There, there's really no problem here, and we don't have to make an, an intellectual make it an intellectual exercise necessarily. The problem comes with the fact, especially when dealing with non-Buddhists, that we do have quite strong views on this subject. We believe in a soul. We believe in self. Um, we believe in the intrinsic, hardwired nature of defilement. You know, I'm an angry person, that's just who I am, it's genetic, etc., etc. We have hard, hard, we have very fixed beliefs about reality. The Buddha called these niyatamichaditi, which means... Um, Niyata means certain wrong view, where we're 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 sure of of something, but it's wrong. If we're sure of something and it's right, that's not a problem. The problem is that many of our views are based on speculation or uh, improper evidence. I mean, nowadays a good example is the reliance on classical physics to explain reality, the materialistic nature that the mind doesn't exist, it's a product of the brain, and so on. And therefore all of our idiosyncrasies are hardwired and deterministic. I'm reading an interesting book, just to get off on a bit of a tangent, talking about quantum, explaining quantum physics. And the wonderful thing is that it's it's been about a hundred years already since quantum physics... Um, disproved this idea that uh, that the physical reality explains everything that, that we are determin deterministic beings quantum physics requires um, a mental process of evaluation and decision making I, I think that's a good good example to bring up because for most people, it's a given that for for many sorry for many people in in modern day, it's a given that we are material beings, we are physical entities, and that consciousness is just a inoperant um, side effect of the brain's working, which which is totally against modern physics. Surprisingly, happily. So, th but if we can do away with, or at least um, suspend our, our our skepticism, you know, be open to the idea that we might be wrong. This is really the key to scientific inquiry, and it's a shame that science falls prey to the same things, the sort of things that they criticize. Um, they call it. Um, Well, there's an example of something called methodology, where if you can't if you can't prove something by a specific method, in this case the modern scientific method, then it's not true, 
or it's not scientific. And so something like meditation is thought of as you know a way of relaxing or or you know pseudoscience or whatever. And in fact, we're talking about an incredibly scientific inquiry. And if you if you focus on reality as you know, go through these stages, start with morality, then focus your mind. You're going to start to see certain things. And the first thing you're going to see is that inside of us there is no uh, solid entity. In empirical fact, there is only a flux of arising and ceasing states. And whatever you can, whatever results you can come up with in the lab, um, you know, they they turn out to be merely an approximation of what's really going on, and that in reality we're talking about a mind that is not whole, but mind states that exist that come and go. First, you're thinking of watching the rising and the falling of the abdomen, then suddenly your mind is off wandering, totally unrelated, and watching the mind arise and cease. When you when you move your right foot, you know the right foot is moving. When you move the left foot, you know the left foot is moving. But it's not the same knowing. It's not the same mind state. You can see the difference. That when you move your right foot, the knowing arises and ceases. When you move your left foot, the knowing arises and ceases. And the mind is constantly arising and ceasing. And that there's also the physical reality. But the physical reality is also not an entity. The body is not a solid object. When the stomach rises, there's emotion. There's an, an, exp um, an experienced reality of the, the pressure arising. When the belly falls, the stomach falls, there's a reality of, of a release of pressure. And so on. So you begin to see that inside of, of yourself, or in reality, there are only two sets of phenomena, and these sets of phenomena are are not permanent, are not um, entities in in any sense of the term. They, they arise and they cease. the The physical reality is a series of of phenomena, and the mental reality is the same. We watch the rising and falling. There's a mind that that knows the rising, when, and then there's the the rising, of the of the abdomen itself. They both arise and they both cease. Then there's the falling, which is a different object entirely, and the knowing of it. You start to see what you start to see is is that the idea of the body or the mind was just a concept. It's just a thought. It's just a belief. And you start to give up this idea. This is important, incredibly important. It starts to get a little bit technical, I know. But it's incredibly important as a concept um, and to, to really get a feel for this. Because it's what's going to allow us to to break away from this this craziness that we, we, we find ourselves caught up in all the time. You know, getting angry about things. Can you really get angry about uh, bits and pieces of, of reality? It's like getting angry at atoms. 
know, getting angry at, at, at things that arise and sees it at, at nothing, at non-entities. So, for instance, when a person yells at you, says something nasty to you, the reason why you get angry is because you think of it as a person. You build up this reality in your mind of a person yelling at you. The reality is there's sound that has touched the ear. There's a mind that has become aware of it. And then more mind states arising that process, judge, evaluate, and make decisions based on it. And when you see this, when you see this is how the reality works, you can see there's a, uh, there's a problem here. There's a, a misunderstanding, a misapprehension, a mis uh, um, a misunderstanding, and a incorrect judgment that leads you to act inappropriately and create suffering for yourself and for others. Once you see how it works, you can see where you go wrong. And you you don't give rise to the kind of thoughts that, oh, that person said nasty things to me. You're able to see what's going on in in the present reality. This can be accomplished when someone says something to you and you, you say to yourself, hearing, hearing, hearing. You, you, you know that you're hearing at that moment. And you start to realize that, that it, it's... It, it merely is what it is. There's no negative or positive um, value inherent in it, inherent in the experience. You know, we don't want to get angry. When people yell at us, we'd much rather be calm and collected and be able to um, respond in such a way that brings about happiness. But we misunderstand. We don't see the process going on. And so when, when the results come out, we, we're... We're amazed that you know we don't know what went wrong, and we don't we're unable to understand how to correct the situation. We react inappropriately because we don't see things clearly. Once we start to see the the process you know, piece by piece by piece by piece, from the beginning to end. Then obviously we we can we can direct it. We're we're in charge. We see we see what's going on. We see the reactions, and we 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 um, we see the causes. We don't give rise to the idea of self, of soul, and so on. So this is this purification of view. The the giving up of 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 the illusion of of self or or of uh, solidity of of the reality of our experience is the first step. It helps us to see what's real, what, what's really going on. The next thing that we'll see is is how it works together. Once we understand that what what exists. That there is no, um, there is no solid entity. There is no soul, no self, and so on in the experience of reality in front of us. Then we start to see how it works together. This is called purification by overcoming doubt, and specifically here, doubt in cause and effect. Doubt in, in regards to 
what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. So once you see that reality is made up of pieces, made up of, of building blocks, of atoms, so to speak, then you start to see how they work together. As I said, someone yells at you, the sound touches the ear, the mind receives it, the mind remembers it, recognizes it, um, processes it, and then begins to respond to it, getting angry, upset, and finally responding with with anger and with uh, unwholesomeness, and eventually leading to suffering. This is the fourth purification, and this one this one is the explanation for those people who have a hard time understanding karma. Karma is not something that is intellectual or based on faith or based on past lives or so on. Karma is something that how you realize and understand and, and accept karma is by seeing how it works in the present moment. By seeing how um, getting angry leads leads to doing bad things which leads to suffering how uh, being mindful leads your mind to be calm and, and content and leads to your, your peace and happiness to see that the, that we're creating the problems that exist in our mind at every moment by ourselves without the help of anyone to see that we are the cause of our future, the cause of our destiny, that we are our own creator. You know, we have all these mental issues. Everyone always talks about being depressed or paranoid or afraid or, or stressed or worried, insomniac, uh, uh, tempered problems, so many different issues that people have addiction. And we have all these scientific explanations. And these scientific explanations generally fall back on the idea that there's nothing we can do except, you know, find some external means of, of blocking the process. So we take a pill, uh, we, um, we find a way to to not have to deal with the problem. You know, say it's genetic, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain and so on. And I don't deny that such things can exist, that the brain has chemicals in it. But this is the interesting thing about quantum physics, is that quantum physics works at the level of the brain. Um, I was just reading this description of how it goes. The, the neural pathways in the brain are uh, are linked and they have contacts and at the contacts there is chemical reactions at an ionic level at the level of atoms and uh, and that's where quantum physics starts to work where it requires a um, a mental observation or a mental decision or reaction to um, to actually get anything done to make a to, to give rise to reality to give rise to the the result. 
we have a, a very important part in the makeup of our brain. We can't change the chemicals. We can't stop our minds from giving rise to um, the, the, the process of addiction and so on. But we have a, a choice as to how we're going to react to it. You, you, you want something. It's up to you whether you're going to how you're going to react to that wanting. You you experience a pleasure, a pleasurable feeling. Now, normally that makes you want um, want the object of your desire and 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 run run to get it. Or you're experiencing something unpleasant, maybe a pain in the body. You can't change that. You can't stop yourself from feeling the pain. But where the mind comes in is it has the ability to make a decision to decide what is that or or um to decide the next step to to give rise to karma it's a very real thing and and it exists in every moment and it's through the building up of our decisions decide deciding that something is good that something is bad that something is me and mine that we give rise then to wholesome and unwholesome mind states greed anger delusion and their counterparts and eventually giving rise to action, whether it be action that brings peace and happiness or action that brings um, sorrow and suffering. In fact, you can see in the meditation, the, the, the first thing that you start to see once you're clear about what, you're, what it is that you're looking at is that really everything works in cause and effect. You can't change who you are uh, in one fell swoop, you can't turn pain off when it arises. You can't stop yourself from getting angry um, once it's arisen, and so on. But you you have this moment-to-moment -moment ability to to be the cause for the next moment. So that when you are angry, you have the ability to um, make a decision um, to see it for what it is to um, stop uh, the cycle of building it more and more and more, not going back to what it is that's making you angry, judging it again and again and again, and, and building it up more and more and more. When you say to yourself, angry, angry, you've stopped saying this anger is bad or, or this person is bad or so on, and you're just starting to say this is this, it is what it is. When you... Um, when you fail to see things as they are this is the moment to moment cause and effect creating um, results and eventually suffering so you start to see the way things work and you start to be able to manipulate this in the meditation the, the next step is starting to is is starting to manipulate this starting to ma manipulate in the right way starting to react in a proper way and this is starting to find the path it's called the the purification by understanding what is the path and what is not the path what is the way of dealing with these things when mind states arise when physical realities arise what do you do how should you react and this is sort of the defining moment in the meditation practice and it's where most meditators, especially those without proper instruction, um, 
falter and are unable to proceed. Because at this point, your mind has calmed down, you're able to see things fairly clearly. And there will be many different paths that present themselves. Um, you know, split into two part, two two sides. One one set is not the path, and one set is the path. And for the most part, we 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 run into great difficulty at this at this point. Because we fail to we fail to see things for what they are. We fail to um we fail to find and approach the right path and to find the right way of dealing with things. Once you start to meditate, well, I mean, in the in the very beginning, we're following a lot of wrong paths anyway. We're we're getting angry, we're getting greedy, and, and so on. We're giving rise to great stress in the mind by nature because that's uh, how we approach reality without meditating. But once you start to meditate, you'll, you, what you'll find is that you start to feel very peaceful and calm. You'll find that your mind has calmed down and you might see bright lights or colors or pictures. Um, you, might feel experience, you might experience profound states of, of quiet, emptiness, um, happiness, You might begin to realize things about yourself and about the world around you. There are many things that arise that seem to be positive, seem to be the right way of, of practice. Um, and we tend to cling to these things. When we see bright lights, it's, it's quite common for people to cling and to think that there's something in that. When you experience states of... of, of uh, buoyancy, your body feels light, um, your body feels maybe tingling all over, maybe your um, shake your body is rocking back and forth. You experience a lot of um, there are a lot of experiences that, that are going to um, bring us back to a state of clinging and stop us from progressing on the path. What we're talking about is um, how to deal with this, uh, with our relationship with reality. And we, we've done away with the gross defilements, and you know, we're no longer getting angry or greedy and so on. But we still, we still have, have the, this work to do to, to purify our path, to find the correct way of, of, of proceeding. So most meditators will get caught up on things like, like uh, things that I've mentioned, these positive states where you feel calm, where you feel peace, where you feel happy, um, where you start to to uh, where you experience great energy, where you feel light, as though you're even flying. 
floating and lose sight of the path. It's at this point where we have to start to um, we have to start to change our minds. We have to start to change the way we look at things. And the problem, the problem, I guess, is that people have already very um, specific ideas of what meditation is. That meditation should bring states of peace and calm and magical experiences, special experiences. And so it's important to understand that what we're really trying to do is, is become objective about all of these things. To not have any preference for any experience whatsoever because all of these experiences are um, are in, impermanent and insubstantial. They don't last. Um, they aren't under our control. And so the important thing is to realize and to, to change the way we look at things in terms of simply seeing things for what they are. Um, from beginning to end of the practice, we're simply trying to experience reality as it is. The problem is that once you start to to practice, you, you, you very easily lose your way, especially when you don't have, have a teacher to guide you every day. Um, you know, something good comes up and you're no longer, um, you're no longer impartial. You've begun to uh, cling again. You're, you're back on a path of enjoying something, um, attaching to something, following after a dead end. So this is the th this is the um, the important point that we're work what we're working up to in the practice is to change the way we look at reality so that we are simply seeing absolutely everything, whether it be positive or negative, for what it is as it is uh, at the moment that it arises. Once we do that, once we get past this point where we're able to confirm in our minds that the correct way of responding to reality is just to see it for what it is, then we really begin the path. And so, um, number six is the practice of the path, the purification through practicing the path, through doing the work of examining reality for what it is and learning, truly learning about reality. No longer clinging, no longer seeking, no longer looking for anything. Simply watching, learning. This is the purest, most ultimate form of study that one can ever um, undertake. Pure and complete examination, perfect examination of reality. And this is the true practice of the Buddha. It takes it takes you know five five stages before this to actually get to the point where you're really practicing. And this is an important point that mostly when we begin to meditate, the difficulty and the reason why it's often quite discouraging is that we're doing it all wrong. We we haven't yet come to an appreciation or yet come to a method of practice that is proper. It's like surfing or skateboarding or or any type of of physical skill, you do it all wrong for 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 a great period of time before finally you get into your groove and start practicing in 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 the correct ma manner. This is very true with meditation, and um, it's important to understand that most of our practice is going to be simply uh, adjusting and 
um, adjusting our practice to the the point where we're practicing properly. Once you're practicing properly, actually looking at things, seeing things as they are, examining reality moment by moment by moment, then the true practice begins. This is number six. Number seven is the realization of the truth. Um, and it's the, the summum bonum of, of Buddhism. As I mentioned, it's the realization of true wisdom, uh, or the, the attainment of true wisdom and true understanding where you're able to see reality for what it is. It's kind of like, uh, in one sense, it's the shift of the mind, where it's the breaking point, where your mind finally accepts the truth, finally accepts the fact that nothing in the world is worth clinging to, that there's no benefit that comes from uh, attachment, addiction, wanting, um, and that there is nothing in the world that is truly a self, or a soul, or me, or mine. That 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 no benefit comes from comes from attachment, comes from clinging. And so the mind releases. The mind lets go. This is the realization of the four noble truths. And in in one moment, uh, it's like um, they say when a candle when you light a candle. The when you light a candle. There's light. Um, there's the, the the light comes on. The darkness goes away. The the can the wax melts and the wick burns. In this way, the four noble truths arise all four simultaneously. The realization of suffering is just that that nothing is worth clinging to. That suffering only comes only suffering comes from clinging comes from attaching to absolutely anything that there there's no possible way for any any part of reality to bring um for any any arisen phenomenon to bring peace happiness and freedom from suffering the the realization of the cause of suffering is that clinging the cessation of suffering is the letting go and the path um or sorry, the realization of suffering is with the end of the clinging, and the path is the realization of um, of the cause of suffering. So, in in a sense, it's kind of like practicing can be many weeks, months, years, whatever, for one moment, for one epiphany, this real, final realization where the mind shifts and says, "It really isn't worth clinging to," and lets go. This letting go is the realization, incidentally, of Nibbana or Nirvana. When we talk about Nirvana in Buddhism, this is the moment that we're talking about, where the mind lets go and is released. Um, the realization of Nirvana is, is, is really indescribable. There's no bright lights, there's no um, feelings of happiness, there's no, um, there's no thought that this is Nirvana. All of that has ceased. It's like the mind is is um, turned off in a sense, is uh, cooled, is quenched. All of the phenomenon, all of the things that arise that we normally have to contemplate in meditation disappear. It's like the mind has unplugged itself and come back inside and uh, and is released. 
it's the ultimate state of peace, happiness, and true freedom from suffering. So that's just um, a fairly technical look at the Buddhist path, and we've gone on quite long. It's, it's a little bit difficult to explain, and I apologize if it got a bit convoluted at times. Um, I sometimes have a hard time bringing all these concepts to the Western world, trying to fit them in to our way of looking, our, our way of seeing things. Um, but thank you all for coming, and I hope it was in some way beneficial. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Otherwise, I wish you all uh, a very good day and success in finding the way out of suffering to find peace, happiness, and freedom. Have a good day.